All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells. NFL Week 6 recap and reactions are coming your way. Tom Brady and the Bucks blow out Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Pittsburgh Steelers, likewise, blow out the Cleveland Browns to remain unbeaten. And the Cowboys get blown out by the Cardinals on Monday Night Football, yet still find themselves atop the dreadful NFC East with a 2-4 and four record. We'll talk all that and more to start the show before moving on to the MLB postseason as the World Series is now set and underway with the Los Angeles Dodgers taking on the Tampa Bay Rays. We'll talk about the Dodgers' big 3-1 to comeback in the NLCS over the Atlanta Braves, as well as the Rays narrowly avoiding being on the opposite end of a historic comeback in the ALCS as they hold off to beat the Houston Astros. We'll be bringing back the goodbye old friend segment to honor Mike Doc Emmerich, who announced his retirement from NBC Sports after 50 years in the industry, reporting on and broadcasting NHL games. And we'll finally wrap up today's show with the five-question segment. We'll have some sports-related questions, but also questions related to Halloween and the coronavirus pandemic, and even one about The Bachelorette. So, Stay tuned uh, all the way for that a fun way to wrap up today's show. And with that, let's get started. He's done it! All right, so let's get right into it. NFL Week 6, and let's start with the game billed as America's Game of the Week. Uh, We actually got a a national audience for the 425 time slot uh, with the Packers and the Bucks because we only had two afternoon games, so I'm sure most people were watching this one. Uh, What could, I guess, potentially be the last time we see Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers face off against each other. And while this game certainly went much better for one of the quarterbacks than it did the other, as the Buccaneers, after coming out down 10 to nothing, score 38 unanswered points, hand the Green Bay Packers their first loss of the season. And this is a game that coming into it, I really thought Tampa needed to come out strong and win this game, not necessarily from like a playoff perspective with the season being long, Green Bay being one of the better teams in the league, but from a you know convincing everyone that this Bucs team is for real and that they are a NFC championship contender. And I would say after this game, at least from a defensive and running the ball perspective, the Bucs have... <laughs> shown that they are they're one of the better teams in this entire league yeah this was easily their best game all year after the game versus the bears i came i came looking to see that they were just a really stupid team that commits a lot of terrible penalties there i think they're one of the most penalized teams i think they're like number two in the league in penalties 
yeah, they, they've committed an absurd amount of penalties. But in this game, they didn't have a single penalty all game. And then, like you said, the defense really showed up. They have a lot of talent on their defense. They had that pick six uh, right after uh, Rod- the Rodgers and the Packers took that 10 nothing lead. And then they got another pick that was almost another pick six. But luckily, Jones... Uh, Ronald Jones just got the easy goal line touchdown and then it was just all bucks from there and like you said it was a credit to really the defense more than anyone and then the running game as well Ronald Jones uh, had a pretty good game yeah Ronald Jones uh, 113 yards two touchdowns it was the third straight game where he had 100 yard rushing Uh, he's the first Tampa Bay Buccaneer running back to go for a hundred plus and three straight since Doug Martin back in 2015. And we know that's something that uh, the, the Patriots had success with when they went on their big Super Bowl run in 2018. Tom Brady in this one, he, he did all right. He completed more than half his passes, something Aaron Rodgers can't say, but he only threw for 166 yards, no picks, no sacks, which is good. But it, for the Tampa offense, a lot of it was really relied on them being able to run the ball. I remember a point in the game when the Packers were up 10 nothing, and then the Bucks had the ball, it was third down and short and Brady threw this pass to Godwin that was dropped by him and it looked, and Brady was losing it and it looked like it was going to be the same thing all over again where they don't get much done on offense and Brady's yelling at his offense the entire game, but luckily their defense bailed him out and as well as Rogers making some bad mistakes as well. Yeah, and I, I mean, it It all started for Rodgers after that uh, Hingle McCringleberry Key and Peel sketch touchdown dance. Uh, that that was probably the, the start of the bad mistakes for him. Certainly not a game to write home about for the Green Bay Packers. They hadn't turned the ball over at all through the first four games. They, they were looking, to me, like the best team in football the first month of the season. They came into this one on a bye week, and I guess this was a case of rust over rest for Green Bay. Because uh, they they really struggled. Those two interceptions, you know, the one that was returned for a pick six and the other almost were the first two turnovers Green Bay had all year. And you know that a game is is out of hand when Nick Boyle and Blaine Gabbard are coming in in the fourth quarter. Uh, Certainly not one that the Packers have to feel good about. So how does this game affect your view of Green Bay? Honestly, I mean, I know they've been awesome the first month of the season, but and I know it's a little bit of recency bias, but I think it's going to be. Rogers talked about this in the after in the post game. He said that it's. I think it's more of an anomaly, more than a trend. I think it could potentially be a trend. I mean, I don't know. And like at the end of that game, they're down by four touchdowns, and. I would have liked to see instead of Boyle, I would have liked to see Jordan Love because rem- cause they drafted him in the first round, and so he's going to be potentially the next guy. And I it's I talked about this for several podcasts that Brady when in in 2014 when they drafted Garoppolo, they brought him in the Kansas City game, and and after their game blown out, and all of a sudden there were talks about hey Jimmy's going to be the next guy and Brady's going to be gone at some point, but it really encouraged really motivated Brady to to help the team win more games and be- eventually go to the playoffs and become Super Bowl champions and I think Rodgers needs a little bit more of that and he's I think he's gotten a little cocky at right now if if you hear his interviews he's and saying that most quarterbacks when whenever I have a down year most it's most quarterbacks career years and uh, this is just an anomaly like I said and just he's kind of cocky in these interviews if you listen to him and I 
I, I worry if I were a Packers fan that it could get worse. Yeah, I kind of understand that sentiment. Uh, you know, this the idea that coming into the season, Jordan Love was right there, ready to take over, and Aaron Rodgers uh, through the first four games had shown that he's not ready to let the new kid come in, that this is still his team and he's still one of the top quarterbacks in the league. And maybe this is a kind of wake-up game for him. But I, I I guess I didn't have high expectations for Green Bay coming into this season. I thought that last season's 13-3 and record was so above how good they actually were that they would kind of come crashing down this year. And to this point, I've been proven wrong that I I don't necessarily want to think that this is going to be a trend, that I do want to agree with Rodgers when he says this one game is an anomaly. But this was the kind of game where if Green Bay comes out and they continue that 10 nothing start and they don't have those turnovers and just totally collapse and they pull out the victory, they're in such great shape that it feels like this one could really hurt them, especially having already had their bye week in week five. It and just look at the most recent playoff history. They get, they have these really good regular seasons, but they never, almost never get the one seed. The one time they got the one seed was Rodgers' first MVP year, and then they just blew it versus the Giants. And so typically they're, they're, they're they eventually have a road game in the playoffs, and they eventually lose, whether that's to Arizona in that the divisional round or the three NFC Championship road losses that they've had. I feel like it's just gonna be the same thing all over again for the Packers, where. They have a pretty good good offense for sure, and good pieces around the around Rodgers. Well, maybe not a lot of good pieces this year, but Jones and Adams are obviously great pieces. He's done a lot but, with a little, that's for sure. Yeah, but I think it's just going to be the same. It feels like the same thing all over again. Well, they'll they'll have an eleven and five year, maybe twelve and four. I don't know, depending on the rest of their schedule. And but eventually, a better team will will beat them. I don't know. It's so, too early to probably to say that. I'm looking at the Packers' schedule right now, and it is very favorable. So their next two at the Texans versus the Vikings. And those are two teams that are one and five talent-wise. You think they're probably a little better than that, but they're two teams that are, you know, feel like their season is holding on by a thread. Uh, those are two games the Packers should win. And then they play the 49ers on the road. A short week. It's not the same 49ers team we saw last year. Would after look that, good for them. Yeah, and that's good for them because yeah. if it was, if it was, if that oh, were the case, they'd get blown much, out. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it's they play the Jaguars, the Colts. They still play the Bears twice. They have a home game against the Eagles, a home game against the Titans. Those are tough ones. And then they also play uh, at the Lions versus the Panthers. So they have a really favorable schedule like I'm looking at this right now I'm not going to say they're going to win out but I'm not looking at any of these games and saying oh yeah Green Bay is definitely going to be yeah none none of those look like schedule losses no so just looking at their upcoming schedule I think that we absolutely can see this Packers team at 13 and 3 again and they can be riding hot into the postseason this is the kind of game I think Going into Houston next week against a Texans team that absolutely has to win if they want any shot of turning their season around, making the playoffs. You know, coming off this thirty-eight to ten loss to Tampa, I think Green Bay needs to come out and remind everyone why we were thinking so highly of them through the first four games before things really kind of start to fall off for this team. Yeah, and another thing is that luckily for them, the Saints and the Niners are both kind of underachieving right now. Yeah, I mean the NFC feels. Still, like it's totally up for grabs. The Seahawks are the 
best team record-wise at 5-1. and one. Of course, their offense has been great with Russell Wilson. The defense has been struggling. And then from there, the Saints haven't been as great as we thought. The Bucs have had enough inconsistencies where you don't look at this game over the Packers and say, oh, they're the best team. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, the NFC East, which we'll get to, doesn't really have uh, too many threats to Green Bay. So I, I do think moving forward, this is a kind of game like, how these teams go from here is going to be a a huge factor into where we see them by the end of the season. Can Tampa ride this momentum, or are they going to go into Vegas next week and struggle against the Raiders in a similar fashion they did against the Bears? So uh, I'm really interested to see where these two go from here. So let's move on and let's talk about a game that is particularly interesting to me, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns. And this one was... Uh, a really interesting matchup coming in throughout NFL circles as both Pittsburgh and Cleveland came into this one having won four straight games. And Cleveland Browns fans, they were all about how this is this is it. This is a year the Browns finally went in Pittsburgh, something they hadn't done since 2003. It was being billed as the Miles Garrett revenge game from some, including Kareem Hunt running back for the Browns. And the Steelers came out and promptly dominated the entire way. Baker Mayfield threw a pick six to Minka Fitzpatrick on their first possession, and things never really got better for him to the point where Kevin Stefanski, Browns head coach, pulled him from the game in the third quarter because it was a lost cause and Baker was already playing injured. The Browns top rushing offense in the NFL were held to just 75 yards by the Steelers defense and Pittsburgh's 5-0 and for the first time since 1978. So Brian, I know we've talked a lot about the Steelers to this point, their undefeated record. They defeat a Browns team that while you can question overall how great they are, they had been playing well. They won more games than any other Steelers opponent. So does this game tell you more about the Steelers or the Browns? Oh, easily the Browns. And not that the Steelers didn't prove anything. They certainly proved that they they have one, one of the best defenses in the league. Well, they kind of proved that already, but they proved it against a even better offense than they've faced in the first, first four games of the year. But this game tells me, definitely tells me more about the Browns because like I said, I've I've been super down Baker Mayfield, and he's one of the worst quarterbacks under pressure. And the the Pittsburgh Steelers defense generates more pressure than any team in the league. They average five sacks a game. I, I, and if you look at the Browns' schedule, yes, th- before this game they were four and one, but the one loss that they had, they were on the road and got killed by Baltimore, a team that that competes with Pittsburgh with one of the best defenses in the league, and and their division coincidentally. And I just I thought that's that the way that game played out is kind of how I thought it would, where Baker would struggle versus a defense like that, and the Steelers would blow doors off. And um, I was given how the Patriots game went, and we'll get to them later. This is the game that I enjoyed the most, just because I felt proven right that Baker would eventually come back down to earth. So you were more optimistic about the Steelers than I was. I was not expecting this kind of blowout. Of course, I was hopeful of that, but I'm hopeful of that every single week. And it seems like it really happens. The Steelers, in their four games, they weren't really beating anybody of note. 
the Giants, the Broncos, the Texans, the Eagles, four teams who were all outside of the playoff picture and really closer to the bottom of their own division standings than the top. And coming into this one, I really thought that Pittsburgh needed to do a lot of things. One of those, I needed to see Minka Fitzpatrick make a big play. Now, I understand that teams hadn't really been targeting him, and he had been finding himself involved in plays mostly making tackles or even missing tackles uh, rather than actually getting an opportunity to come away with an interception or a fumble recovery or something. Well, he he stepped up immediately like I needed him to with a, a pick six of Baker Mayfield on the first drive. The Steelers came into this one uh, after an Eagles game in which I think Philly was 10 for 14 on third down or something ridiculous, and they held the Browns to 1 for 12. And they came up with some big fourth down stops as well. The Steelers' defense just totally rattled Baker Mayfield. And I know he was playing through a rib injury, so I'll give them a little bit of an excuse to that. But the Steelers, Bud Dupree, TJ Watt on the defensive line, they were not going to let Baker off easy in this one. And to me, this, while it does tell me something about the Browns, I think that this is the kind of game where the Steelers went from, uh, what are they? They're 4-0. They're a playoff contender. Are they really a Super Bowl contender? And I, I emphatically believe that, yes, like every week I become more and more confident. And this one, I, I'm i not going to say that they're better than Kansas City or Baltimore, but I think the Steelers are right up with them based on this game. So this game, to me, told me more about Pittsburgh and just how dominant they can be under pressure against a big team, a big division rival, and to, to come out and put on that kind of performance, uh, I think that it was absolutely more about Pittsburgh than it was about Cleveland. I will say coming into the year, I would have said that Pittsburgh would compete more for a wild card than a division because I figured Baltimore would still be a 12-4, and 14, and they still could be, but I didn't think Pittsburgh would be that close to Baltimore. I guess is what I'm trying to say. They'd be competing more for the division than just a playoff spot. Like they really have a shot at winning the division and maybe not uh, overtaking Kansas City and being a one seed in the AFC, but they can definitely be one of the higher seeds and, and win that, the division. That's still within reach at five and zero. Oh. Uh, and you know that that being said, the the Steelers we're really going to continue to see just how great they are with their upcoming stretch playing at Tennessee, who's also five and zero. Oh. At Baltimore, five and one. That'll be a big game, and then finishing up with another road game at Dallas. So three straight road games because of the Tennessee game moving back. So uh, I think this is really going to be an opportunity to see just how how mentally tough and physically tough this team is going up against some really tough competition away from home. But I definitely feel optimistic about the Steelers team moving forward. As for the Browns. Uh, I'm not totally ready to write off Baker Mayfield just yet like you are because of the injury, but I did say before the season that I thought Case Keenum would eventually replace him. And, you know, I know I'm not going to take full credit. I know the injury was a part of that, but I do kind of feel like, okay, now that we've seen Keenum come in for Baker, how long before it's a healthy Baker that's being pulled from the lineup? I know you said that word for word and I didn't, but I would I would like to join that bandwagon if I didn't already. Yeah, I, and when will that happen? If it happens, uh, I mean, they face the Bengals again that they 
scored 30 plus points in and i think it was week two yeah uh and then they faced the raiders who have they beat kc so they're def and and the saints so they're definitely a pretty good team then they face the texans they're a joke eagles who knows given their injuries on offense they they face the jags and then they face the five and no titans team so I, I don't know. They they have a pretty easy schedule. Those are a lot of the... teams that don't have great defenses. Yeah. So, uh, so those maybe... are games that Baker, in theory, should be able to pass the ball when called upon. You know, if the Browns' running game gets stopped, which it's easier said than done. I know the Steelers have a great rushing defense. We're able to do that. I don't know that any of those teams have great rushing defenses. But, I, I mean, we're going to find out if, if Baker can can continue to lead this team against these bad defenses. And we could see Cleveland come out and win more of these games like they had won four in a row. If he struggles, though, then that would just give you more incentive I, it, to move on to Case Keenum. Exactly, because they certainly have the weapons on at receiver. And like you said, the their rushing attack has been great this year outside of the Pittsburgh game. And their offensive line has been good. So... Baker, even though as an overall number one overall pick, he's sort of the weak link on their off, which, which is which sounds crazy. But if he plays like he did in against Pittsburgh and Baltimore, and I, I can I can totally see them going to Keenum, especially since Stefanski was with Keenum a few years ago. Yeah, and that was my biggest reason for being you know as as uh, bold as I was with that prediction is the fact that not only have we seen Case Keenum play with Kevin Stefanski before but we saw Case Keenum lead a Minnesota Vikings to the NFC championship game under Mike under Kevin Stefanski so um you know I I still think it's a possibility looking at the schedule though it seems like the Browns yeah, should be pretty it decent. seems like they should be fine but <laughs> if they have a game like that again versus a lesser opponent then yeah watch out all right, let's uh let's move on to our next game. And we talked about the Titans a little bit to this point. Let's continue talking about Tennessee as they played a epic thriller with Houston Texans, a game that came down to overtime. Uh, these two teams trading punches throughout this one, uh, particularly in the second half. And honestly, I kind of want to just get right to it. So Houston up 30 to 29 late in the fourth quarter, just inside two minutes, score a touchdown to go up 36 to 29. And Romeo Cornell decides and rather than kicking the extra point, he's going to go for two, try to put his team up nine. Two point conversion is no good. Titans go down the field, end up scoring in the final seconds, and Houston never gets the ball back. So what are your thoughts on the two point conversion attempts by Houston? Uh dumb <laughs> go go for the field goal and or the extra point and let the other team try to score and get the two-point conversion and i know the tech i know the titans are rolling right now but I, no matter who the offense is even if it was casey i i'm still going for the extra point and letting the other team try to get in the end zone t- on two plays in a row that it's, i don't know i don't know what analytics save but uh, I, I think the I analytics. Still rather, I'd still rather agree. go for the extra point in that situation, unless if your kicker sucks, which well, I don't think fair. Man, I don't. I don't. I don't know how. In the game, I, I, if it's bad weather, but which I don't think it. It wasn't. It was sunny. <laughs> wasn't out. like Fire Baron's. I know he. Okay, if he missed an extra point, fine. But I'd still rather go back to him and 
hit hit the extra point and make it an eight point game. Yeah, I like the move by Cornell. I feel like it at this stage in where we are in the league, the difference between seven and eight points is not as big as it used to be because not only are extra points much easier to miss these days, but two point conversions are much easier to get. It feels like it, like every team is, or at least on a league average, it's 50, 50. There's certainly a lot of teams. You look at a team like Tennessee Titans who are so great at play action. You have a monster in Derrick Henry who can run over somebody at any moment. This team I like their chances at of converting a two-point diversion. I'm honestly surprised that Tennessee didn't go for the win themselves by going for two and letting it come down to overtime. Uh, when you're the Houston Texans, you're one and four. You have Romeo Cornell, who is an interim head coach, someone who is very unlikely to remain the head coach next season. And the only chance that happens is if the team completely turns things around. You're on the road going up against a division rival. I absolutely love the call going for two there. And really, it came close to succeeding. Uh, Tennessee, I, I don't know who knocked it down, but someone on that defensive line made a great play getting a hand up uh, because Houston had someone, uh, I, I don't know if it was Brandon Cooks, but he was wide open, ready, or at least open and able to make that catch. I think that's the kind of play that I, I go for over and over again. If I'm Houston, I absolutely understand that call. It didn't work out, but... Uh, you know, in in, in that moment, I, I I really do like that, and I think this, more teams this, should do that. This is just like last week or two weeks ago with Zimmer and and the Vikings. I'm I'm, I'm still going, going for, for I'm still going for the field goal. I'm still making an eight point game. <laughs> yeah, I but, I don't know. I just think that with the way offenses are right now, if you get a chance to put a game away there by going up by two scores with under two minutes ago, I really like that decision, uh, and it, it just didn't work out. So. Uh, you know, all that being said, the Titans are 5-0, and and they've been wrapped in a lot of controversy lately with their, uh, you know, coronavirus. Did they or did they not break co- protocols with uh, so many players testing positive? They had a, an entire game postponed against the Steelers in week four. They came out against the Bills and only had, I think, two practices in 16 days. They destroyed them. And then they come out and they, they have a, a tough game against Houston, a game that the Texans need to win, and they, they end up pulling this one out with their offense exploding. So I know we've talked about how great we you know view the Steelers at this point. Where do you look at the Titans when they fit into the AFC and really overall NFL playoff picture? Well, before I, before I get to that, I'd like to mention that before the Buffalo game, the, the B- Buffalo Bills knew who they were going to play that week, but I don't think they actually knew like who was going to be if it was going to be the Titans on Tuesday or the Chiefs on Thursday that week. If yeah, you didn't hear about that, that wasn't which, that wasn't so, known until so, too late. So to having having to prepare for two different teams within three within a span of twenty four to seventy two hours of just I just think that kind of messed up messed it up for Buffalo a little bit. But still, the Titans came out and and destroyed the Bills, and then they had that impressive win this past Sunday versus the Texans and how do I view them in the AFC? Yeah, I think they're, they've proven, I certainly thought they were going to be mediocre. I still thought they'd win the division because the AFC South sucks, but I thought they'd be a mediocre team coming in the year and, and Tannehill and the rest of the Titans have proven that they've definitely belong in the upper echelon of one of the best teams in the AFC. And, and I still think paying thirty million plus dollars a year to Tannehill is dumb, but 
he's proven last year and into this year that he's he's more than capable of being their quarterback and I think another thing that's great about the Titans is their coaching Mike Vrabel yep. he's he's awesome yep. I mean did you see the play where he it was third and one and he purposely took put the tw- 12 men on the field the, penalty. yeah took the 12 yeah. men on the field penalty to give the, their offense extra time to score and then force overtime and and win the game I think that was just genius and I think I've said this numerous times. I'll say it again. Football is definitely the most important sport when it comes to coaching. And I've been consistent with the, this on the Titans is that they certainly have a are, are a well-coached team. I agree. I, d- I did want to talk about that uh, Mike Vrabel decision. I thought, I thought that was kind of incredible uh, looking back on that. I think at this point, probably any NFL podcast you listen to about the actions this week, it already went into it. But uh, yeah, on a second and one with three minutes to go, and the clock running, the Titans decided to take a 12 men on the field penalty. So, I mean, Michael Vrabel totally sold, pretending like he was upset, like, you know, very like, oh, I wasn't trying to intentionally yeah, do and, this. Yeah, and, and Rich Gannon on the broadcast, and I don't blame him, said that, oh, wow, that was really, really stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's funny because Mike Vrabel did the exact same thing against the Jets in 2018 with the Titans down three scores late in the game. Or not three scores, three points late in the game. Uh, did a intentional 12 men penalty to get then, first down and then also he in the playoff game versus new england he yeah all right did well, the same oh sorry to sorry, jump no i'm like, not done he did that no i was saying he did that gave up a first down ended up conceding a field goal to the jets then went down scored a touchdown to win the game by a point rich gannon was also the color commentator <laughs> in that game so wow. he didn't learn yeah it's the, the second time that uh Mike Frabel has done that and that was another thing it ended up working out because he was able to stop the clock save some timeouts saved 40 seconds and you know after going down you know and giving up the Texans touchdown the Titans went down the field and they scored four seconds left so that tells you how valuable that that clock saving move was but yes I in the in the playoff game I know you're very familiar with with uh, his moves against the Patriots yeah Belichick lost his mind on that but I thought it was I thought it was genius on, on Vrabel's part so I've been I've I've always been consistent with that that even if my views on the Titans play players and how they how they'd be this year after their nine and seven season and then almost making the Super Bowl last year and thinking they're going back to a mediocre team I've always been consistent that Mike Vrabel is a great coach and the players are certainly bought into his system I honestly don't know how you can watch Ryan Tannehill play and say that he's not worth the money that well, Tennessee paid him. Well, after he's an just MVP the, after, after just he the one, after one, he was awful in Miami, and he had okay, he had a great year last year, but he wasn't just awful thinking, in Miami though. He was awful in Miami. He led yes, them he to was. the playoffs, and then he got hurt, and he just couldn't recover. Oh, he missed he, a season and a half with injuries, and then he had Adam Gase as his head coach. Who was terrible? Gets, yeah, I know Adam Gase. Like, so it's a blame. You see what Adam Gase has done with the Jets? What he did with Le'Veon Bell? Like, okay, what, so it's a team? blame. So you blame the coach? <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm saying that Adam Gase is the reason why Ryan Tannehill was bad in 2018 and why the Dolphins. Yeah, but Ryan Tannehill sucked before he got to Tennessee, and now he's kind of rejuvenated. Just that one year. Yeah, he's sucked in Miami. He's always been no, bad in Miami. He, he didn't. He led he's them always to the playoffs been bad in, in Miami. 2016. 
the Patriots have won all these division titles because of all the easy teams in the AFC East, including the Dolphins. The Dolphins weren't good, but it's not necessarily because Ryan Tannehill sucked. Like Ryan he, Tannehill, he sucked. had the makings of being a quarterback that they could rely on moving forward, and the injuries just derailed his career. And Adam Gase made everyone he threw think he seventy-two sucked. passing yards versus New England. <laughs> they didn't need him to. That's, that doesn't mean he threw three, four hundred yard games all the time in the regular season. He continues to do that. Like that was the running, kind of game. Wasn't that game I, in the rain? Henry too? has definitely been a more important part to their offense than Tannehill. And thirty million dollars went to Tannehill. I just, I mean, he's proving that he's he's proven that he's do, having a great season. I just think the contract is still crazy. I, I really let's don't see him prove so it in the playoffs. I want to see that. Then we'll talk about the thirty million. He beat the Patriots <laughs> and the Ravens in playoff games. Like he he proved it in the playoffs. Like still he, mostly on Derrick Henry and his a gazillion rushing yards. Okay, I don't know. I'm just saying thirty for forty one, three hundred sixty four yards. Four. No, he's pro- he's doing a good like, job right now, but it's super early, and let's see him prove it later in the year. Okay, I mean it, we got a big test. Because he's going to play the I can't wait. defense. I, I, I want him to choke so bad in the playoffs. <laughs> and then and we can okay. come back to this conversation. <laughs> see? <laughs> I, I, all want, right. I want that to happen so You bad. know, I, I would like to see him drop off his performance in week seven. He's, he's I'm just saying he's definitely proving he's more than capable of being a great, a, a good quarterback for their team. And I'm, I'm just, but I'm just saying the 30 million is a little crazy. A year is a crazy. Is That's all. That's my whole point. He's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL right now, and I wouldn't be shocked if he's a top five quarterback by the end of the season, just like he was last year. All right. Let's... Hey, I would... <laughs> Whatever. Let's just yeah. move on. Forget yeah. it. Yeah. No, hey, that's okay. We'll, we'll, uh, it's okay. We need to have disagreements sometime on this show. Uh, all right. Let's, let's talk about another guy who I have said is not worth $30 million, and that's Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> and the San Francisco 49ers hosting the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday Night Football really felt like a must-win for the Niners. They're 2-3, and three, fourth place in the NFC West, which is, you know, I think most people will agree, the best division in football with Seattle and Arizona also in that division above 500. So the 49ers really needed to come out and play well. And Jimmy G... Got off to a really strong start, 14 for 16, 193 yards and three touchdowns uh, until late in the second quarter. Cooled off a little in the second half, but he certainly did enough for the 49ers to be able to pull out this win. And at times, you kind of felt like you were seeing that same Niners defense that was so elite last year and helped take him to the Super Bowl. So at the same time, the Rams offense really struggled in a way that we haven't really seen this year. The Rams were kind of looking like they're this team that everyone was so high on in 2018 and heading into 2019. And then they just crumbled and made everyone feel so low on them. And then they got back to exceeding that expectation. So I know kind of fitting the theme of the episode. Does this game tell you more about the Niners or the Rams? Honestly, I don't even know. I think it's just a week, week to week thing. With both of these teams, if I had to pick, I guess I would say the Rams because I'm not super high on the Rams this year. Yes, that is true that two years ago they were this this amazing offense with Gurley and their three receivers when you include Cooks and they make it all the way to the Super Bowl and lose. And then last year they underachieve, but th- and they they've had a good year outside of the outside of losing to Buffalo. But then they finally they finally lose to San Francisco, and I think. I don't think they're going to be, they might be a playoff team, but I don't think they're 
going to win the division or anything. And I think they just came back down to earth a little. San Francisco, I think it's just going to be a week-to-week thing. But Garoppolo certainly did prove this week that that he was good. But let's see him do it against New England and see if he can do that, have the same performance all over again, or if he's going to have that same have the one performance he did versus Miami where he was pitiful. So I think it's a week-to-week thing with San Francisco, but so I'm going to go with LA slightly in terms of which game, which team uh you learn more about. Learn, yeah, which team did I learn more about? I would say the Rams if I had to pick. See, I think it's San Francisco in this one. I I do agree with you where both of these teams it was kind of like, all right, how much of this was it the Rams offense kind of crumbling versus a 49ers defense stepping up in ways we hadn't seen really because of all the injuries they suffered. And I I do lean more towards San Francisco, and I think Jimmy G's performance saves it a little for me because we knew against Miami he was playing with, you know, at least coming off an injury, whether he was still injured or just he wasn't ready to come back. He didn't have the kind of reps during the week that he needed while trying to recover. He didn't play well against Miami. He came out and he had a really solid performance against the Rams. Yep, who, part, they're a really solid defense. Yeah, p- p- yeah, part of me wondered if it was if he was really hurt or if it was excuse making just to protect the quarterback or not. So I guess of anyone on that team, he's certainly the one that proved the most in that game. In Jimmy, yeah, and I think that well, honestly, even beyond him, so the 49ers offensive line hadn't really been all that strong they've they've had their moments this year we know that the rushing attack was a big part of their success last season this offensive line going up against Aaron Donald and the Rams defense didn't allow a single sack I think coming into the game the Rams were up there as one of the the top teams overall in sacks and I think that's another big part of this where it's you just see how good San Francisco can be when they're healthy and Coming into the season, I did expect a little bit of a come down from them. Just one of those Super Bowl hangovers. You you lose that game. Historically, it's tough on any team. And if they lost this one, I would have been ready to write them off before I would have been ready to say, oh, the Rams are like the top team in the NFC. Not just in their own division, but just in the entire conference. And now I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, the, the Niners are still a a playoff contender. They're still a team that is a threat to just about anyone when they have all the right pieces together on the field. So that's for me why I think this is more about San Francisco. I'm definitely at least putting on hold the 49ers potential to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. I certainly don't think they should be trading for Matt Ryan at the trade deadline or any other quarterback that might come available. I think they should continue to stick it out with who they have. And just you know, hope that everyone can get back healthy because we know how good that defense can be when they have everyone on the field together. And also, Debo Samuel really had his best game of the season as well. And yeah, he was phenomenal. He's and and all those trick not trick plays but re, wide receiver reverses. reverses yeah. yeah, that the use of Samuel uh, definitely worked out in that game. And then, but they also just lost Mostert. Speaking of injuries, to I think he's now on. Oh, I know. Yeah, he. I well, I don't know if he's officially been placed in IR, but I know that Kyle Shanahan said that there was a possibility of that happening. And and Jamichael Jamichael Hasty, I'd never even heard of him. He came in down the stretch and he was he was holding his own, running the ball. We know that the Niners have a deep backfield, and Jarek McKinnon is finally healthy. Jarek McKinnon had has had a couple really good games this year in place of Mostert. 
but he's he certainly has his injury history missing yeah. two seasons. So well. I I know there's there's certainly question marks with the Niners backfield. That's something we've always seen is they have so many guys and they all get playing time because someone's always hurt. So I, I'm I'm not going to doubt Kyle Shanahan's ability to piece together a solid backfield that can help this team win games. Obviously you want to have everyone healthy and losing Raheem Mostert for a few weeks would be a tough loss for them. But I'm not overly concerned about that as I would be with some other running backs. You, the you've definitely influenced my my opinion on that question between the Rams and the Niners a little bit. I, I It's just that they had their worst game all season versus... Uh, I know the Dolphins are 3-3, three and three, but they're not a great team. Yeah. And then they just had their best game versus a pretty good Rams team. And I just don't know which which team do I believe... Do I believe in more, or, or which one do I think is the Niners' real Niners? Niners the team we saw last week, or home. the one we saw two days ago? Yeah, they finally won a game at home on their fourth try. Uh, you know, they won a game away from New Jersey, so uh, I think that yeah, that's is... another thing. They lost to the Eagles of all teams, who have With been one of the biggest Mullins at quarterback. Yeah, that's tr- that's true as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I just think it comes down to when the Niners are healthy, they're a really solid team. They need to keep winning though. They can't afford to to lose games now that they have everybody together because of how strong this division is. Uh, getting a divisional win though over a Rams team that had been playing really well, I think is a is a big one for them. All right, so let's move on to our next game. And uh, Monday night, we had two matchups. One of them we had kind of talked about. The Chiefs and Bills were supposed to play on Thursday. And because the Bills wound up playing the Titans on Tuesday, the NFL pushed this one all the way back to Monday. And we had a rainy contest. And we saw the quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, two guys who have been in absolutely in the MVP conversation this season, struggle. Ultimately, the Chiefs won, and a big part of that was because of their run game, particularly Clyde Edwards-Elair, 161 rushing yards. And the Chiefs are getting Le'Veon Bell, too. So how does this game kind of affect your your view of this Kansas City offense moving forward I think they're only going to get better and I think they're getting smarter too because the Chiefs are they're clearly known as this high-flying offense that likes to put up all these points on the board and 26 points is a lot but they're they're typically scoring in the 30s and even more but what they showed in that game though is that they're on the road it's a rainy day and instead of trying to be what they usually are and throwing bombs to Tyreek and and Kelsey had two touchdowns. So he had a good game game too, but what they really did was really establish the run and really pounded the ball with, with CEH. And, and they, they just knew this situationally what to do and they could put their egos aside a little bit and just stick to a good game plan and just pounding, pounding the rock with Edwards Hilaire and, and he had a good game, even though he didn't score. How frustrating is it for you as a CEH fantasy football owner? And it is. He's had more overturned touchdowns than actual touchdowns this yeah, year. Yeah, it's, it's been a frustrating season for sure, um, having him. <laughs> Adding Le'Veon Bell doesn't help that. It's another thing with, with Clyde is he's running the ball all over the field, but he can't score close to the goal line for whatever reason. And I do kind of want to talk Clyde a little bit more. So one thing that it's kind of jumping out at me, because in my head, Patrick Mahomes didn't really have 
that solid of a game because he didn't throw for a lot of yards. 225, which by his it's fine, but his standards is not yeah. great. He was 21 for 26 passing the ball. He, they were smart. He was making... He wasn't necessarily looking for that big play all the time in the rain. And that was something you saw Josh Allen do a lot, and he just end up overthrowing receivers, and Bill's drives would end prematurely. So I, I think that this is the kind of game where the Chiefs, I watch them play, and their offense isn't scoring 35, 40 points, and I'm like, oh, they're not that great. Like This, this is not the kind of Chiefs team we've been used to. But then you really kind of think about it, and you really analyze it, and you realize, well, the Chiefs' offense is so versatile. They don't need to throw the ball 50 yards downfield and have all these amazing you know, deep yeah. balls to Tyree Kill. Yeah, t- Tyree Kill, had, a, he only had three catches, and then Hardman had zero. And they he, didn't yeah, have, they didn't have Watkins, and they still were able to have the production on offense like they did. And it was yes. because they ran the ball. I, so I, I could be totally making up this stat, but I'm I'm pretty sure I heard on the broadcast. So Clyde Edwards Elair had 26 carries the first time that a running back under Andy Reid had 25 carries in a game. That that doesn't sound real, but at the same time it kind of does. And like he's been in this coaching business I think for 22 years now. And he's someone the, who he's had really solid running backs. Yeah, but all these running backs are definitely pass catching running backs. Yeah. And Hunt, Williams, Westbrook back Brian to the Eagles. Brian Westbrook way back in the day. Yeah. 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 So like it, it, it feels kind of remarkable and you, you just look at the game plan and you kind of see why Kansas city was able to win because they were able to run the ball so well against the spills defense. And I, I thought that I guess the weather certainly played a factor. Because I thought that the Bills, they have had so much inconsistency with injuries at cornerback in their secondary that I thought Kansas City was going to be able to throw the ball. And we were going to see that. And you know, Patrick Mahomes did throw a couple short touchdown passes to Travis Kelsey. Demarcus Robinson got involved. But they were really relying on the running game. And if you look at Buffalo on the other side, they only had 84 yards as a team running the ball. Josh Allen was their leading rusher. Devin Singletary and Zach Moss both struggled to move the ball on the ground. I think that was a huge part of this game because... Patrick Mahomes was completing passes even if they weren't necessarily downfield like we're used to, and Josh Allen was not. 14 for 27, 122 yards. And I I mean, the, the, the Bills, yeah, they had a tough week against Tennessee not knowing who they were actually going to play, who to prepare for. That second, second week in a row that Josh Allen has really struggled, this Bills offense has struggled. And I, I mean, I know you're higher on Josh Allen than I am. And I I think he's definitely great for fantasy. And But the thing is, I don't think Josh Allen sucks or anything. I don't want to say that, but he does make boneheaded decisions at times. And in and, and that game, know, he just didn't put up the production. He hasn't put up the production like we saw in the first month than he has in the past. The past couple of games, he's, he definitely hasn't been his best. No, and I... I wouldn't necessarily say I'm starting to cool off on him. I think he'll be able to figure this out in maybe a more normal situation where you know who you're preparing for. You're not playing in the rain. But he was definitely really awesome through the first four games, and he's far from awesome the past two. So he's he's a guy that I really think needs to turn it around quickly if uh, if the Bills I mean, are he, going he to was finally your, win the AFC East. He was your guy... Uh, in terms the of most, most appro- under the most yeah. pressure to prove, and especially looking at looking at their division with, I mean, the, Miami's the second best team in their division. There's right no now. excuse. So the there's no ex- yeah. There's li- there's literally no excuse for them not 
not to win the division. They have no, to win it. Josh Allen's going to need to play like he did in those first few games where he was playing like an MVP candidate rather than crumbling against a Tennessee Titans, Kansas City Chiefs team. Two of the best teams in the AFC, two teams that you will likely see competing for those top seeds with the Bills, presuming they win the AFC East. So uh, I, I definitely need to see a lot more from Josh Allen moving forward. Uh, I mean, speaking of moving forward, uh, I'm ready to move forward with our no, next yeah, game. yeah, go ahead, and uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the Bills' biggest rival in the AFC East, the team that they're trying to finally overcome now that Tom Brady is gone, and that's uh, Cam Newton's New England Patriots. And Patriots had a tough week; they had uh, their game against the Broncos already delayed a week because of positive coronavirus tests, and. Not a whole lot of practicing for them, and you could tell that uh, they they were not all that ready for this one as they fall to the Broncos, eighteen to twelve, in a game in which Denver only scored on field goals. Yeah, what a pathetic performance that was from New England. And I know I've I came in in the year down on them, but before this game, the first four games, I know they were two and two, but they pa- they passed the eye test. They were they they, they barely lost the, to Seattle. They barely lost to Seattle and. And they lost to a much better team in Kansas City, and, and, and without without Newen, right? So I, I had definitely a little bit more more higher hopes for them in this game, especially since Denver is not a good team to begin with, and then they didn't even have Melvin Gordon because of a DUI and the illness, and then they didn't have Noah Fant. There, let's face it, he's their best target on offense. I mean, Jerry Judy's a rookie, and Noah Fant was showing in the beginning of the year that he's pretty good so he arguably their best target and their best running back and and didn't give up a single touchdown but they still lose the game that's that's pretty terrible and and people are saying look at what the Patriots defense did I don't know I mean yes they only gave up 18 points and they played great red zone defense but they gave up six field goal attempts and six all six of them went in and the Broncos defense or not Broncos defense, the Broncos team, they didn't have a single punt until the fourth quarter of that game. So it's not like the Patriots totally shut them down. Yeah, and but Drew Locke, I mean, your MVP Preseason choice. MVP, yeah. yeah he, Almost I mean, 200 he, yards passing. He, yeah, but he also had a couple bad picks, and he had more He's only in, sacked twice. He had more incomplete passes yeah. <laughs> than completions. That stupid chant I hate. His passer rating was uh, below the mark of what it would be had all of his passes just hit the ground yeah so drew lock even at the end of that game he kind of tried to give it back to the patriots but with those couple bad interceptions but uh cam newton was really bad in this game there's no doubt his worst game as a patriot they were definitely he definitely missed some open receivers that could have been the completely game-changing uh difference in in terms of the Patriots winning or losing that game. And, and and then not only Newton was bad, but when I look at the receivers, uh, I know I've talked about it countless times going dating back to last year that the receivers haven't been good. And it's just proven more again that they don't have the receivers to compete with the rest of the league in terms of making the playoffs and, and further. Edelman looks cashed at this point. He hasn't been good for he a while more now. Outside of the, yards than receiving yards. Yeah, outside of the Seattle game, he has not been good. I'm worried that it's injuries and his age and not playing wear and tear. Brady. And not and yeah, not having Tom Brady. So he, maybe he's a little butthurt about that. But I think it's 
more because of the wear and tear than anything. Because he showed the effort in the Seattle game. He went off in that game. So I don't think it's totally because Brady's not with him. I think it's more the fact that he's injured. And then Nikhil Harry sucks. And and then Demir Bird has been fine, but he's their third receiver. So I, I don't love... I'm not confident after that game, <laughs> to, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on this with the the Patriots. They were a strong two and two. You kind of felt good about them, and then they come out and they they don't play well against a Broncos team that, under normal circumstances, they beat. And this is another one where it's like, okay, how much of this was COVID just ravaging their team? And part, part not of me wants necessarily to, in the sense of me, everyone testing positive, but like it, not being able to practice. I mean, part of me wants to use that excuse, but look at Tennessee. I mean, yeah, they, oh, I know. They, well, they Tennessee had, was still. They have a worse anyway, outbreak, but... and they've blown door blown doors off the past two weeks versus Buffalo yeah, and no, Houston. I, I, I mean, it's one of those things where you look at it and you're kind of like, "There's reason for the Patriots to panic right now, coming off this loss." But at the same time, there's reason to be like, "All right, let's let's take a step back and say." Why are we really in this position? You know, how much of this is because our team is really bad versus all these other factors? That they are they certainly into it. were unprepared in that game, even though they had two weeks. They definitely were hit a little bit by. Yeah, by I mean, COVID, Bill Belichick didn't have a great game himself. And no, it's like, he didn't. you know, you can talk about players not being able to practice. Uh, he can figure out how to do a game plan from, from home uh, much easier than players can practice on Zoom. So uh, I. I don't know that you can totally blame this loss on that uh, just because, like you said, the team didn't seem like they were prepared in all aspects of the game. So going forward, they play the 49ers next week. I think it's a huge game for both teams. That one's in Santa Clara, right? No, it's in so. New England. It's in, oh, it's it's in, in New England. England. Yeah. Okay. okay. The, the only so. reason why I know this is because I literally just checked a second ago. Okay. It's, it's in New England, so that's the kind of game that the Patriots should I guess I would think they'd be favored to win, but that's that's one where Jimmy Garoppolo that one's a toss up. Returning to Gillette, like that's that that's a big game for both those teams. I I definitely think that the Patriots defense can do what they need to do, but they're going to need the offense to step up, especially if the 49ers defense uh, continues to play well coming off their their win over the Rams. So, yep. All right, let's uh let's go on to our next one, and really this is this is kind of a catch all. So we. The Cowboys, Monday Night Football, Andy Dalton's oh, debut. They they lose to the Cardinals, thirty-eight to ten. Just a, a total train wreck performance. Ezekiel Elliott, two early fumbles are very costly. Arizona, eighty-one uh, yard touchdown pass from Kyler Murray to Christian Kirk that seemingly put the game away in the second quarter. But Cowboys weren't the only team to to lose in the NFC East this week, as has been the case most weeks this season. The Philadelphia Eagles. They were getting blown out by Baltimore most of the game. They ended up coming back, almost tied it late. Uh, Two-point conversion attempt was stopped by Baltimore, and the Ravens hung on for a 30-28 to lead. But the Eagles are 1-4-1. and Dallas at 2-4 and is still on top of the division, especially after the Giants got their first one of the season over the Washington football team, as both of those teams are 1-5. and Just overall... Yeah, they, they, they played each other, so someone had to win yeah. that game. Yeah, so, well, I mean, in the case of the Eagles, you don't always oh, have one team point. come out right. on top. <laughs> so, I guess... Just looking at the NFC East as a whole right now, what are your what are your thoughts on these teams? What team do you look at and say, okay, this team kind of has the edge here. This team has something to build on, a reason to be optimistic. Is there anybody? 
It's either Dallas or Philly. I don't have any faith in the football team or the Giants doing anything. And I, whoever wins out of those teams, it's going to be seven and nine or or six uh, nine and one or something like that. Whatever it is of the Eagles, uh, it's one of those two. I think with Philly, they need to get healthier on offense because even though they lost to the Ravens, they did have a pretty good game they just didn't weren't able they, to capitalize they played on that well in the fourth quarter they yeah. fought till the end right and it was against a good Ravens defense and Wentz has I'm a little bit higher on Wentz than you but I'm not super high on him but he did have I mean was it Fulgum Fulgum Travis Fulgum Travis yeah, Fulgum Fulg- he's their best coming res- out of nowhere he's their yeah. best receiver and Ertz is now gone Goddard's still an IR Miles Jeffrey- Sanders got hurt too. Alshon Jeffrey is basically done at this point with his injuries and Miles Sanders, right, and now he's going. He's going to be out for a little bit. So there are a lot of injuries on that Eagles offense. So I'm, I'm going to cut Wentz some slack a little bit, especially since he had a pretty good game this past Sunday. And then, but da- oh, Dallas, oh my God, Dallas. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, the, so there, there were plenty of talking heads throughout the week saying, oh, the Cowboys are just as good, if not better, with Andy Dalton replacing Dak Prescott. Which, <laughs> yeah, it's a ridiculous statement. Dak can go for 400 yards any game. Andy Dalton, you'll be lucky to get 300 out of him. That being said, the Cowboys have weapons. You would think that Andy Dalton can do whatever it takes to to win and you know succeed on offense. Obviously, their defense is a train wreck, but when you have Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb and, and Dalton Schultz had been playing well at tight end. Of course, you have Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield. It felt like the Cowboys had enough weapons to be able to score more than 10 points against Arizona. And their, their offense just couldn't get anything going. And Zeke's that, two that, fumbles that, were a killer. But. That game was bad as it gets. And then, oh my God, Zeke. For for someone that is that wanted to step up for Dak in, in this first game without him, can he have been worse? Not, not t- a good showing at all. Those two him. fumbles. That, that, that was the game right there after the two fumbles and then the Cardinals capitalizing on those turnovers. That, that was pathetic. And, I mean, the fact that they paid him all that money and now he's not performing. I mean, he's he's been fine, but to his standards in that contract, he's not performing the expectations. And then for after next season, who knows if they get Dak back or not? And so I, it's a mess. I certainly, I'm certainly, I'm just gonna say like I'm out on Dallas, and I'm definitely <laughs> they, they're not going to the Super Bowl. No, they're not. I mean, they might win the division because their division is as pathetic as it gets but after that i'm out <laughs> i was wrong and and losing dak is certainly gonna hurt so that that kind didn't see that coming of course but even without dak they still have they still have major issues especially defensively oh my god their defense is so bad <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that that defense i i can't really fathom like how bad they have been because it feels like they have so much talented names on that oh there's so many names offensively and defensively you see the names and it's just wow (laughs) how do you lose to the cardinals 38 to 10 at home with with that roster and i mean mike mccarthy like is Um, that the simple answer so i thought so jason garrett i think we all agree is addition by subtraction but then i thought mike mccarthy i'm not saying he's this Vince Lombardi or Bill Belichick or anything, but I figure he he had some success in Green Bay. Yes, it it didn't end great, but he did have some success there, winning a Super Bowl. And then he gets a year off. It was one year, right? One year off. 
not yeah, coaching one year a team. off. He didn't he didn't you, coach you th- in twenty nineteen. I think during that season during that off season for him, he, he, I don't know, he he would improve his play sheet a little bit or something and and have a little bit more of motivation with a different team and a good team with or talented pieces at least. But oh man, it's it's just it's been as bad as it gets. Yeah, it's it's been brutal, and it's at the point where players like I think everything is kind of kept internal. But now they're yeah. coming out and saying this coaching staff sucks. Like they they they're not prepared. They're not good at what they do. Do you like that the players are saying that and being open that hey we've had another bad coaching staff, <laughs> or is that their fault? I that mean, hey, you know they're the common denominator here. Like maybe it's more of the players than the coaches. I don't. I I do could, think coaching, like you said, could, coaching matters a lot yeah, in the and, NFL, and it's entirely possible that they've had two stiff head coaches now. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no reason to believe. I know Mike McCarthy won a Super Bowl in Green Bay, but there's no reason to believe that the the Packers' success was more about I, him I, than Aaron it's, Rodgers. It's more, it's certainly more Aaron Rodgers than McCarthy. Yeah, and so I. I'm not really entertaining the Giants in Washington. Both those teams are one and no. five. Neither of them feel like. I mean, they could. One of them could. Yeah, win the mathematically, I'll talk about ma- them. Mathematically, yeah. yes, they can, but I still highly doubt it. When they beat a team outside the NFC East, we'll talk about them. But I'm looking at the Eagles and Cowboys schedule, and immediately my thought was, oh, the Eagles should feel kind of good about themselves. Here's the next four: versus Giants, versus Cowboys, by at Giants at Browns. So those are four games that I could see this Eagles offense, especially if they're healthy, finding ways to score, and the defense makes enough plays, they could win all four of those games. And then after that, versus Seahawks at Packers, versus Saints at Cardinals, before ending the season at Cowboys versus Washington. So I could see them winning four in a row and then losing four in a row. So it's, it's, that's not great. And then if you look at the the Cowboys, so like the Eagles, they also play a division rival at Washington. And then that Cowboys Eagles Sunday Night Football November 11th, that's that's going to be or November 1st, that's going to be uh, you know even spookier than the prior day. And then the the Cowboys play the Steelers at the Vikings versus Washington on Thanksgiving, and then at the Ravens before ending with at Bengals versus Niners versus Eagles at Giants. So the Cowboys schedule seems like it might be a little more favorable, but they still have to play Pittsburgh and Baltimore, two teams the Eagles have already played. They still have to play the 49ers, a team the Eagles already beat. So I don't know. I'm looking at these schedules right now, though, and I'm, I am I did not think that I would say that neither of these teams in this, like none of the four teams would go at least 8-8. Eight and eight. I don't know. I don't know if any of these teams oh, are going to I don't, I don't think. I don't think so. I don't think the Cowboys, the Cowboys are, they're two and four right now, right? And, yeah, they still have they still have games versus the, the Pittsburgh and and Baltimore, who the Eagles have already played. I know that's just two games, but that's that those feel like two <laughs> maybe automatic losses. I don't know. Maybe that's that's too easy. But it's also it's so hard looking at this Cowboys team because you still kind of look at them through the Dak Prescott lens and this lens that the defense isn't atrocious. But then you have to totally take that out of play and then combine that with that the fact that Dalton is now their quarterback yeah Andy Andy Dalton not not a great debut for him I I thought that was a great signing by them and I was like thinking that Dalton would be ready to step up and at least make the Cowboys decent I thought thought it was certainly an overpayment but I didn't think it was take out the contract just having him on their roster behind Dak I didn't think I thought it was fine outside of the overpayment but i thought he was like the best backup in the league when no i, I no and i 
kind of agree with that. I, I look if you look around the backup quarterbacks in the league. I mean, I mean, yeah, I think Dalton kind of stinks, but it, as your backup, that's fine. It is only one and a half games too. Like I'm not, and, gonna, and he did fine versus at the end of that game the Giants, versus the yeah. Giants. Yeah, which I mean, the Giants are the Giants, so I don't it's know. Just, I think it's sad to say this. There is reason for Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, and Washington fans to be optimistic about their playoff chances, but I, I, can't I still wouldn't a scenario where I, any of these teams do anything when they get there. Yeah, and I, I agree with that completely. All right, let's uh, you know, before we move on from the NFL, we do have some big news. So uh, on Sunday, the Dolphins beat the Jets twenty-four to nothing. Really, the big story of the game was Tua, Tua Tagovailoa making his NFL debut, came in through a couple passes for nine yards, uh, and it, it was incredible because Tua at the University of Alabama looked like he was primed to be the number one overall draft pick in this year's class. Uh, you know, After having won a championship, led them to another national title game appearance, he suffers a hip injury that at, at times looked like it could have potentially been career-threatening. Uh, the Dolphins were able to get the medical advice they needed to say that he's ready to go. And he's looked phenomenal in practice, apparently. We finally got to see him in game. And now with the Dolphins set to have a bye, they're ready to turn over the reins from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Tua Tagovailoa. So what are your thoughts on the Dolphins' decision to go with Tua? Okay, I'm not saying the Dolphins are going to the Super Bowl or anything with Fitzpatrick, but I, I think it's premature to put Tua in right now. And now I know they have the bye week next week. So that part of it makes sense. But they also face the Rams next. And I know they didn't play amazing versus San Francisco, but they got a good line with Donald. Yeah. And what if I, I know the Dolphins next five years are more and, and beyond are more important than this season alone. But what, what if Tua struggles and gets hurt in that game then that just sets your future back more and and I think Fitzpatrick's been fine and and they're three and three I I I think it's a little too early and and especially when you factor in Tua's injury history I I think I think the Dolphins should in my opinion they should have should still be starting Fitzpatrick and and keep waiting on Tua a little bit more until Fitzpatrick really stinks and I don't know. I want to, I want to hear your thoughts too. Let's yeah, go. so I, I agree that I don't love that Tua will be making his first start against the Rams. I know he gets an extra week to prepare, but that is scary. It's kind of like watching Alex Smith go in and get, you know, start taking it's sacks against his Rams same team. Same team, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think if Tua, you know, comes out okay, then I'll feel much better about it because I, I'm with you in that I'm kind of scared about the injuries. But we've, he's, I've seen, like, clips from practices, and he's looked really good. This isn't a case of Tua not being ready. It was just Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing well, and there was no need to rush Tua onto the field. But now there's a question of, okay, what are the Dolphins trying to do? Because they blow out the 49ers and the Jets. They're winning with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Are they really going to be a better team with Tua Tagovailoa as quarterback? I don't think so. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick gives them a better chance to win. We know he can go from Fitz Magic to Fitz Tragic at any time. <laughs> I love but, those names. Yeah, the Dolphins are... Uh, if they want to be an actual playoff contender, which in some ways it can be at three and three, only a game back of the Patriot or of the Bills, a half game ahead of the Patriots in the AFC East, 
they have that opportunity. Uh, so to me, this is the Dolphins being like, we don't necessarily care what happens this season. We want Tua to get on the field. We want him to get an opportunity to prove that he is the future of this franchise, get the fans excited, and get everyone around the league ready to see what this kid can do. And I think another part of the reason why the Dolphins are ready to get him on now is because they're watching Justin Herbert play well for the Chargers. They're that's watching him go toe-to-toe with that, future Hall of Famers and Super Bowl MVPs. Yeah, that's certainly a factor that Herbert has played as well as he had. And and he was he was taking a pick after Tua, so I'm sure yeah. they've been they've they've been itching to get Tua on the field, seeing what he's been able to do. See yeah, what Herbert's you, been able to you do. Start, oh, I know. You start like <laughs> getting nervous yourself. Like, all right, uh, do we really make the right decision? You want to go out there, put to a prove that you got the right guy for you, this team, someone who's going to help you win. And I'm excited to see them because Tua versus Justin Herbert in Miami, November 15th. So Tua at that point will have a couple games under his belt. It's not like Tua is going to be thrown out there for his uh, NFL debut against Justin Herbert, who's much more seasoned. I think that'll be a, a really fun one to see these two guys go head to head and kind of see where where they take these teams into the future. There are parts of the decision that make sense when you factor in the Herbert thing and the extra week to prepare for his uh, first opponent as a starter. But it, it, I still think it's I'm still a little skeptical. There's some skepticism for me, even though I'm not a Dolphins fan whatsoever. I just uh, I, especially when I you factor it. in his his hip injury, I I worry I, I worry more than anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm skeptical of the move as well. I, I don't necessarily love the timing other than the bye week perspective, but you know, they're ready to see what Tua can do, and I'm excited to see what he can do. So, all right, uh, that, that will wrap things up for the NFL for this episode, and let's talk a little baseball. And... We are set with a Dodgers-Rays World Series. If you'll remember, I predicted that coming into the postseason, so this is no surprise to me. (laughs) But it was kind of interesting how we got here because it looked like both of these teams were in serious danger of not making it uh, once they uh, got underway in the League Championship Series. Let's start with the NLCS as the Los Angeles Dodgers come from 3-1 to down against the Atlanta Braves. And... You know, part of me feels bad for Atlanta sports fans. Like I really I don't. Do. <laughs> I I don't like their teams, but I feel bad for the people who root for them because that that's just so like to know all all their fans when when Cody Bellinger hit that go ahead home run in the bottom of the seventh to put the Dodgers up four to three. They're like, you just knew this was coming, Atlanta sports. And I just can't imagine how miserable that would be. Thing is, I don't like the Braves. As a Pirates fan, I don't like the Braves. I wasn't even alive in 1992, and the name Sid Bream still makes me irrationally angry. I have been very anti-Braves for a long time. I was absolutely rooting for the Dodgers, which might sound a little crazy because they're the Dodgers. They're L.A. But I... uh, I, you know, I, I do got to say, I do kind of feel bad for, for Braves fans. I don't feel bad for the Braves organization. And uh, that's just a, what an epic collapse by, by that sports town once again. I'll admit I was rooting for the Braves. and Not that I have a real rooting interest, but I don't like the Dodgers. But after Bellinger hit that home run and seeing the Braves Atlanta Braves collapse... I kind of found a little humor in that. Like, all right, I don't, I don't mind that that happened. Right, so maybe I changed. I kind of changed my mind a little bit after that. 
after that home run and we have a good matchup and yeah. So, well, uh, I guess one thing that I know you'll, you'll find some humor in. So uh, going into this season, teams that won the first two games of a league championship series were 28 and three all time in the, the series and the Braves won their first two games and that they lost after 28 and, and they three. were up three to one just like yeah. the Warriors and other teams <laughs> yeah well no it's like the record 28 right. and three. Oh, and it's Atlanta. oh my god that took that took me way too long yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just no, like 23, that's just 23 that's, too that's a nice nice, nice record oh 28 yeah. and three yeah. oh <laughs> yep yep so how have you felt about Mookie Betts this year in LA I mean, I mean, obviously you don't I mean, like yeah, it. He's not in the I mean, Red yeah, Sox. Stink, but. I mean, yeah, it stinks that he's not in Boston, but I, I, I still stand by that he wasn't going to come back here, so they had to move him. But yeah, seeing him with the Dodgers, it's kind of crazy because the Dodgers are known as this choking team, and they still can be. They still can be. They can. They've lost and, in the World Series twice and Mookie in Betts, three years. As great as he was with the Red Sox as a pl- in the playoffs, though, he's never been a good playoff performer, so... The combination of those two being together and also Kershaw and others, it's kind of funny that they're all with each other now, but, and who knows, let's see if they can get over that. Are you rooting for Mookie? I honestly, I don't know who I'm rooting for. I mean, I I like Mookie. I love Joe Kelly. He's, he's my guy. And then I love, yeah, and I love, and I love Dave Roberts, of course. So there are three guys that. The, on the Dodgers where, hey, if the Dodgers win, then great. I'm happy for those three and everyone else, whatever. And then, but I but I would also find it humorous if they lost, though. <laughs> if they lose, yeah. it's this three out of four World Series that they lose. That's that's kind of funny. Because they're, they're really the biggest chokers in sports right now, arguably, in my opinion, I think. I mean, who, el- who and, else would be competing? I mean, because I know you could say the Falcons, but it's like they have that one moment. The, the, the Dodgers, Dodgers have had The multiple, Dodgers have, yeah. they have lost two World Series in a row, and they could potentially lose three out of four. And the one that World Series they didn't make it, they, the team they, they lost to, won, the they chose against the Nationals, the team that yeah. did win. So uh-huh. I, I, I see rooting interests in both ways. Yeah, so I, I, I understand that sentiment. It. I I love Mookie. I've been rooting for him all year. I I was rooting for him to win MVP. I don't think he's going to. Uh, but that catch he made. Did you see him robbing the, the okay, home run? Okay, you're probably we're probably going to disagree again. We've only Wait, had- you don't think it's that crazy <laughs> no, of a catch. No, it was a normal catch. It was fine. <laughs> I mean, it was it was I guess it a was normal a fine, catch from a robbing a home run was, standpoint, but a, he still took it out of the stands. It was a fine play. <laughs> I I thought I think that was awesome. I, I think that was a turning. If point it was in this on game. Sports Center top plays, it would be number nine or ten for me. <laughs> I would probably I would try to find w- a lot more plays than that because it was just a I, normal fine catch. It was fine. Wasn't I think, amazing. I think it was a big catch. And you know, I I think that was I think that was a really solid play by Mookie Betts. And the the Braves had three hits in the first four innings. All three of them scored runs. They didn't have a hit the rest of the way. And that that would have been a hit there. That the, to me, that was just another, like that play, kind of helped swing the momentum into LA's favor because the Braves had just went up three to two not too long before that. I think it was in like the sixth inning when he made that catch, and then 
uh, that I'm pretty sure the the Dodgers tied it in the following inning with a home run, and then they they took the lead it was, the next uh, inning. Kiki Hernandez, right? Yeah, Kiki Hernandez hit a home run in the sixth, and then uh, Cody Bellinger hit the the go ahead homer in the seventh. Who so. popped his shoulder <laughs> celebrating? Yeah, after celebrating. That too. Yeah, yeah. I I think he was able to say in the game that after they popped it back in, I still which thought is it was incredible. Funny. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, I, I'm, I'm totally okay with the Dodgers finally getting their first world series win. Of course they play in the race and that Rays Astros series. So I guess that was a weird one for me. I'm kind of curious. How do you feel about that? Because obviously the Astros are the Astros. They're cheating scale and everything. The Rays are, I mean, they're Red Sox rivals in the AL East. What were your thoughts going okay, into so that series? Honestly, when it comes to the Astros, I don't, I'm not as mad about the... I mean, I'm a Patriots fan, so why would I be mad? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I wasn't as mad about the cheating stuff as others, but I did hate that they have a losing record and and they're down 3 nothing. And the only team to come back down 3 nothing in that moment is the Red Sox. And I would have hated it. And more because of the history of the Red Sox of that happening and the losing record more than the cheating. The cheating would have been third on that list of terms of why I was rooting against the Astros in that series, especially after tying it back up at three. So I was, I was worried. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, as Red Sox fans, there's not really a reason for us to necessarily hate on the cheating Astros. Like I know in 2017, the Astros knocked the Red Sox out of the playoffs, but the following year, the Red Sox got revenge and beat them the ALCS and won the world series. And they had Cora. And so they, might they, yeah. might have been they had doing their own stuff kind too. of stuff yeah. going on, not as bad as Houston, but Definitely still, not. like there's there's not like from a Red Sox fan perspective, I don't know that there's a reason to necessarily. There's no hatred hate for Houston. It's just you want to be the only team that, that yes, really no, had the I, accomplishment. I agree. So I hated on the Astros punishment i think that the players should have been affected the players much more. definitely and the fact wait. that they, they went to the almost went to the world series this year tells you that the punishment was how, not strict enough how awkward would it have been if they make the world series and then let's say they win how would that trophy presentation go with Rob manfred, manfred oh yeah you guys a piece of metal <laughs> you guys have been through so much adversity through <laughs> yeah. all this the pandemic and uh you're cheating and uh good he job would have, guys he would have taken a ring for himself because <laughs> he helped that team yeah. By by not coming down harder on them. <laughs> uh, but so, I mean, all that being said, so the Astros going down three to nothing at that point, I definitely did not want them to join the Red Sox. I do think had they won the series in a normal way, it would have been kind of hilarious just because how upset that would have made Yankees fans even more <laughs> beyond the Yankees getting bounced in the the divisional no there definitely would around yeah there definitely would have been humor in that i just did not want the three zero comeback no no i agree with that and at the same time though the rays being in the world series and having this success is just another brutal reminder of how horrible that chris archer trade was the pirates made and i I just i i can't root for them and i know like there are some pirates fans out there who it seems like they they like seeing tyler glass now and austin meadows play well it's just like oh, neil huntington sucked the pirates suck uh, you know bob nutting is a horrible owner it just makes everything worse i'm just like i i can't take any satisfaction in that <laughs> like that's and another you, thing for me is like am i looking at dodgers Rays? You, you i don't wanna, want you, austin you want, meadows to win world series mvp I'm, you're talking about a, from a pirates perspective what about the red sox they they Sox, Mookie, well Mookie is yeah. in LA and then yeah. with the Rays they were they're in their division and they I have know, a much le- much lesser payroll and yeah 
Yeah. And then Haim Bloom was with Tampa and Andrew Friedman as well. He's with the Dodgers now. Oh, but I think was... all four teams that were like in the end had connections to the Rays right. franchise and to Andrew Friedman. Right. Oh, they're the model franchise right now. Well, I guess I think, another thing. I, I'm just saying Pirates... it shows how bad the Red Sox year has gone. No, with oh, those I agree. two in it. I, I agree. I don't necessarily care as much about the Red Sox Rays rivalry. I don't really could have too much against them from that perspective. Uh, I guess another thing though is if you talk about having this labor agreement coming up, the Pirates are not going to have success regardless of who the ownership is under the current format. Like teams like that have to get really lucky. And the Rays are kind of like the exception of a team that can continue to be good without having a high payroll. But them winning a World Series would just kind of go against any hope you would have of like any salary cap type structure in baseball and just want to be those things where you're always going to have these powerhouse rich teams like the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, you know, that they can just spend money at will. And, you know, the Red Sox, the Rays win a World Series one time. And it's like Leicester City winning the Premier League. It's like, oh, see, it can happen. A team other than these five can win. I, I would. There were, there's a reason for me to, to root against Tampa is that they would be known as Title Town too. Oh, after the I Lightning know. Win. Yeah, I forgot oh, about that. I would hate. I would hate that so much. Too. Plus, with the Bucks and like Tampa hosting the Super Bowl. Right. Like, oh yeah. I, I, I would hate. I would hate it if that place of all places is becomes Title Alliteration. Town. You know, Tampa Title Town. That sound has got a nice ring to it. Uh, you know, as long as <laughs> yeah. So the, if the Bucks don't win the Super Bowl, then I would be okay. I would. With it. The I'm, Steelers. Steelers won in Tampa already in a Super Bowl. The, the the Steelers win the Super Bowl in Tampa. Like yes, that is Title Town to me. I'm also gonna root against. Another reason to root against the Rays is also because I don't, I really don't like Blake Snell. And after what his comments during the, the pandemic, uh, oh, about during not, during April and yeah. May when he said, "Oh, to take a pay cut, that's not going to happen, bro. I'm risking my life. You're the most, you have the most socially distant position in sports yeah. outside of golfers. You're a pitcher. You're 60 feet away from the mound. Like you're, you're not risking your life, bro. <laughs> like there are there are people working there. Are, People working in the front lines in the hospitals and nurses and doctors that are going through so much worse things than you. And then he's talked about, he complained about how not only the pay cut, but also taxes. Oh my God, taxes, just like everyone else. When you're in a state tax-free, uh, tax-free yeah, in state. Florida. In Florida. <laughs> oh, I, I, so I, I hate that guy personally. But, but So there, there are reasons for me to root for and against both teams. I'm pretty sure Snell was Twitch streaming in the off season when uh, Tommy Pham was traded from mm-hmm. the race to the Padres for Manuel Margot, and he was so pissed about that trade. And it's funny now because Manuel Margot has been one of the Rays' best players in the postseason. <laughs> that is funny. So before we move on, let's just wrap up with our World Series predictions. So uh, going into this, I said Dodgers over the Rays. I'm still sticking with Dodgers over the Rays in six. Same exact thing, Dodgers in six. I, I, yeah, I, re- I right, really, there we yeah, go. <laughs> that we was a easy. lot of disagreements. That, all right, there we that go. We're easy. on the same page. Yeah. Oh, actually, here's another prediction I want to do. Um, so, you know how every year Taco Bell gives out a free taco if a player steals a base in the World Series? Yeah. He's going to do that this year. Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I'll go bets. Yeah. Yeah, I was Mookie bets as well. I, I looked it up last night just to do some research and say anyone other than bets. He's the only player in this series who has multiple steals in the postseason. So I'm like, all right, he's probably he's the see, most likely. Yeah, I, he seems like the only guy that I think realistically has a good chance of doing it. Randy Arozarena. 
for the race if it's someone i think it's gonna be him i'll go He's with mark i'll go with margo okay yeah margo's i think margo actually had 12 steals in the regular season which was like fourth in the entire league in a 60 game season 12 <laughs> steals <laughs> gone in the days of guys getting 100 plus steals in a season oh that's so unfortunate all right, now so let's uh, let's move on a segment we haven't done in, at least in 2020. It's it's been a while, and that is goodbye, old friend. So this is uh, something both you and I are are, are pretty sad about. Uh, Mike Doc Emmerich of NBC Sports, 74 years old, decided to announce his retirement from broadcasting NHL games. He's someone that his his voice has become known and loved throughout the hockey world. Uh, he's always on the call for the Stanley Cup Finals, as well as just other games throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs. He gets the Winter Classic every year, the Olympics. He's someone that uh, both you and I have definitely oh, yeah. had a lot of a lot of love for over the years. Yeah, he's easily, out of, out of all the, we've talked about this in the past, sorry, but we I'll, say it, I'll say it again. Out of all the main sports, he's easily my favorite uh, announce broadcaster of all of them. And Al Michaels and Jim Nance are very good. They're definitely up there. But I, I ha- if I had to pick one guy, it's definitely Doc. He's he, he's the reason why, well, not the reason, the sole reason why, but he's one of the biggest reasons why I I love playoff hockey. And I'll even non-Bruin stuff, I'll look back on highlights of other games and great moments in Stanley Cup playoff history. And, and, Basically every time it's him on the call, and I think yep. he's a huge reason why some of those some of the plays in my mind um, that I think of most are are exciting because of him, because of his calls on the play, and 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 I think he genuinely is loves the game of hockey, and is passionate about the game of hockey as well, and I I'm gonna hate it next season when the Stanley Cup playoff shows appears and then and he's not on the call it's and not I, him i just i wonder how much influence he has on the I, I he certainly has a lot i just i don't want it to be i don't want i'm i'm wor- i worry that the stealing cup playoffs aren't going to be nearly as interesting without him I, I agree with that. And like it felt like hyperbole to say that when i texted you that the Stanley Cup playoffs going to be a lot less fun but Doc, I agree. He's he's my favorite voice of all the the major guys. You know, the ones who call the the championships of every sport, all the the main main games throughout the week. Uh, Doc Emmerich has just always been like this awesome voice, just this great storyteller. The way that he just calls the the game just so flawlessly, uh, just adds a lot of excitement to it on every major goal. Uh, I. I've grown to love Doc Emmerich for a variety of reasons. So 50 years ago, he started out as a reporter for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and Mm -hmm. he has a lot of connections to Pittsburgh. He's a huge Pirates fan to this day. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, back in 2016 spring training, he broadcasted a couple games, just you know, hung out there. They let him let him call some innings. And uh, later that season, in the regular season in July, right before the All Star break, the Pirates and the Cubs were playing on MLB Network, and uh, he he joined Bob Costas in the booth to call the ninth inning of a game. So that that's another thing. But just in general, as a hockey perspective, the Penguins 
2016 and 2017 Stanley Cup playoff runs were two of my favorite sports moments of the past decade. And Doc Emmerich was with them the entire way both times, starting, you know, at least starting with the Washington series in the second round all the way through the Eastern Conference Finals and Stanley Cup Finals. All those great moments that you watch back and all those big goals and, of course, the the ultimate, uh, the, the Penguins win, the Penguins advance, the Penguins win the Stanley Cup. It's he, all he made a Doc Emmerich. I could talk about all the endless great calls he's made. He made a, for you, he made a great call on their, not their very first Stanley Cup, their first Stanley Cup with Crosby. In when, when 2009? They, and yeah, when they faced the Red Wings. And uh, there was, I think, five seconds left. They're down, t- they're they're up two to one in the game, yep. in game seven. And Red Wings win the faceoff. Fleury makes a, I think he makes a save. And then Lidstrom has an open net, kind of an open net with, like the shot, if this goes in, they're going to overtime with a second left on the clock, and or and if they make the save, it's over. And Flurry makes this amazing save, and then Doc made an amazing call on that, and then saying the Penguins have won the Stanley Cup. And even though I'm not a Penguins fan, like that call was one of the endless great calls he's made. Yeah, he, he's he's made so many awesome ones that'll like resonate with me over the years every time i'm watching highlights it's always doc emmerich on the voice and i know he was uh the announcer for every single bruin series uh in 2019 and their their run to the stanley cup finals so yeah uh, which i was certainly was a fan of and i know you hate jack edwards and yes i get why I, people I, I get why people hate him but i i honestly am a fan because every when it comes to local broadcasters you got I love the passion, but you also have to have one guy that's this calm, cool, collective guy, which is Andy Brickley, the color guy. And then you got to have one guy who's totally crazy, to- a total homer. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. that in, for the Celtics that Gorman and he- is the calm, cool, collective guy, but Tommy Heinsohn's this crazy uh, homer saying, complaining about all the calls going going against the Celtics. So I, I love that he's crazy and passionate, but and passionate, and I think he is a good broadcaster, but. When when I find out that Doc Emmerich is the national broadcaster for the Bruins game, I'm gonna put it to him. I don't. I'd rather hear him than than Jack. No offense to Jack, but I'd I certainly think very highly of uh, Doc Emmerich, and it's gonna suck. Hockey's definitely gonna suck without him. Yeah, and uh, I I definitely was was getting emotional watching his like goodbye video posted on NBC Sports Twitter page. He did say that he'll be doing more essays like that. So I imagine where he's going to be the voice whenever the new season starts, the playoffs start, you know, Stanley Cup final start, whatever. We're going to we're going to be hearing from him. Uh, unfortunately, it just won't be for more than yeah. you know, a few minutes. At the I, I don't. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about him like he's dead. I just. <laughs> yeah. I just, oh, I know. I, just, it I know. Just, it just sucks so bad. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be on some pirates game, so I'll get to I'll get to listen to him you know, every now and then. Now that he he gets to enjoy his retirement, so Doc Emmerich, uh, enjoy your retirement, and to you we say goodbye, old friend. All right, so let's wrap things up with the five-question segment. Uh, we're not doing a top five. We did a Halloween-themed top five uh, you know, spooky season movies with uh, Ben Carlson on our last episode. That was, and that was a, Halloween. Go that was back good. and listen to that. That was, <laughs> that was a good top five, too. It was. It was a fun one to do. Um, we didn't want to come up with another Halloween one and didn't really have a better top five countdown for this, so we're bringing back the five-question segment. So let's get started. Question one. Uh, 
Do you like the Indiana Pacers hiring Toronto Raptors assistant Nate Bjorkgren as their new head coach? And the reason why I did this in particular is because uh, a few episodes back, we talked about the best head coaching openings. I actually put the Pacers at the bottom and you had them close to, if not at the top. I had them in the middle. Middle. You did have them in the middle. I had like a three, third out of five. You were much higher on them for me. So now that they they have a, their guy, how how so, do you feel about? This? Well, first of all, the reason I was higher on them than you is because the the teams I had at the bottom, <laughs> you were highest on. Yeah, and and I'm I firmly I'm sticking with that that Brooklyn Philly are below Indiana. I'm not ter- I'm not talking in terms of upside. <laughs> I'm just I'm talking in terms of downside and how bad it could be with those two teams. But anyway, how do I feel about this move? All right, you're probably going to hate my answer. My answer is I don't know and I kind of don't care because <laughs> when it comes to the Pacers, I, it it does it really does it doesn't matter. I, I it doesn't matter who's coaching the team. It could be it could be Steve Nash, it could be Ty Lue, it could be Gary Novotny for for all we care. Yeah. It does <laughs> it doesn't matter who your dad's name's Gary, right? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter who's coaching that team. It, they're going to be a 4, 5 or 6 seed. And then they'll maybe win a playoff round or two, or two at most. But other than that, they're not going anywhere. So, I my answer is it doesn't really matter. But if you can convince me otherwise, do tell. Well, no, I mean that's that's why I put these teams so low. And I know you were focusing on the downside. I was just focusing on the focusing on the upside. And I don't really think that the Indiana Pacers is a franchise that you're ever going to be able to lure top free agents. So it's the kind of team that you have to get lucky in the draft, be able to develop guys, and hope that. You can do something with them in that, the seven years before you have to get rid of them. That is one of the worst things about the NBA is that if you are a team that's in the middle, like you're basically mm-hmm. just stuck there. Unless if you make a Danny Ainge type of trade with Brooklyn where you get all these great draft picks and and great lottery picks at the top. Unless if you do that, you're kind of just stuck in the middle if you're a team that has decent pieces but not great pieces. So I will admit yes. that... That does kind of suck. <laughs> that that really describes the Pacers. So the I guess the the big reason uh, why I would say that there's reason to like this and be optimistic is the fact that he was an assistant coach to Nick Nurse in Toronto, where he won a championship, and we saw the Raptors win the finals with Kawhi Leonard as the main guy. And a lot of people thought when Kawhi Leonard left to go to the Clippers, the Raptors would take a step back. And they really didn't. They were the two seed in the Eastern Conference. They took the Celtics to seven games in the conference semifinals. They absolutely could have gone back to the NBA finals. And I think Nick Nurse was a big part of that and the way that he was able to construct that rosters and, and help develop these guys that kind of came out of nowhere. We saw it, you know, back with Fred Van Vliet originally, and then eventually guys like Terrence Davis stepping up uh, just kind of out of nowhere. OG Ananobi was a solid pick that uh, he really came in his own in this most recent season with Toronto. So I think that for a franchise like Indiana, where that's kind of what you have to rely on, it seems like a good hire. Why would bringing in Mike D'Antoni make any sense? Oh, I would, I would, (laughs) I would have had an opinion if it was Mike D'Antoni and I would have hated it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, you know, maybe maybe like Billy Donovan could have been a and better hire for yeah, them. He, I think that had... there's there's a lot of assistant coaches that I'm familiar with. I'd never heard of uh, Nick Bjorkgren, but I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt just because of the organization he's coming from. 
Yeah. That being said, I, I agree that I don't think that the Pacers are really going to be anything better than like a conference semifinalist in the next couple of years. Exactly. So. Yeah. All right. So for question number two, this Halloween will be our first Halloween during the COVID-19 pandemic. What are your plans? Will you or should other people go out or stay in? Well, so I know you say it's our first Halloween during the COVID-19 pandemic. I hope it's our only Halloween during the pandemic. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, so that that being said, I mean, wear a costume with a mask, right? You're okay. You can go wherever. You can go out. You can go trick-or-treating. You can, you can hang out inside with your friends if you're wearing a mask, right? So just yeah. dress up like Scream and do what you want. Yeah, I think that's... I, I'm, 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 hop- <laughs> I'm hoping to do something. I mean, I don't... Yeah. I don't. I don't want to just stay in and give candy. go trick or treating with the neighborhood kids. No, I'm not even, <laughs> not even do that. Like just <laughs> just handing out candy to to the kids, which I mean, yeah, it's fine. But like, I, it's a Saturday night on mm-hmm. Halloween. I want to do something. I, I know. Well, this I this don't need year to do. Had so many holidays. It's just like this is just perfect timing, except <laughs> that there's a pandemic going on, uh, and uh, Halloween is just the latest casualty of that. So I'll admit. In terms of my highest hopes, I hope to go out and then have a mask, but to go yeah. out and and with friends and and maybe have some drinks and whatever. So that that what are you gonna dress up as? That I haven't decided yet. Yeah, I mean, I I I hope to do something as well, but I also haven't really put too much thought into a costume because it's, it's, it's still like, co- all right. Not, Halloween's not a thing. Yeah, this not year. only is it a couple weeks away, but it's also <laughs> during a pandemic. Where how how psyched are you for Halloween? So. Oh, I know. So, well, back in February, I went as a, I went to like a banana suit bar crawl, and uh, I still have the banana suit, so maybe I'll just go easy and just toss that on, and I think I'd be entertaining enough that people appreciate it. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to dress up like Guy Fieri again this year. I was thinking about that, but I've decided against it. <laughs> All right, uh, question three. The match, Champions for Change is set to take place on November 27th, featuring Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley facing Stephen Curry and Peyton Manning. Who are you taking to win? So you might think that my analysis would be whoever has the professional golfer on their team should win. My analysis is actually whichever team Charles Barkley is on, I'm picking the other team because Charles, <laughs> yeah. Charles Barkley... Is gotta be the worst golfer I can think of on this planet. I, I might, I, you know how bad I am at golf. I think I might be better than Char- Charles Barkley. Is the worst golfer I have ever seen. And he, his his weird swing, his swing, and like then stops and halfway then it, through. It, and the fact that he's as bad of as of a gambler as he is also probably factors in it. I'm sure it's. I mean, it's for charity, but still, it's mm-hmm. he did even during the broadcast during the Manning Brady Woods Mickelson. One he he even he he was talking about bets and and talking trash to Brady and then all of a sudden Brady makes that amazing shot off the green and uh but but Charles is terrible at golf and and Peyton Manning he was decent in that matchup with those guys and then Steph Curry yes he's a basketball he's player but decent. he's he's played on the Corn Fury Tour and the Web.com Tour and he's I mean he hasn't put up amazing results but the fact that him a basketball player is playing. Uh, semi-professional golf is is pretty good and he is a good golfer so i would actually i would take i'm taking curry and manning right for as of right now 
Yeah, so I guess I need to know the format. If it's best ball, then maybe Phil Mickelson can hold his own and I th- won't need to rely on Charles as much. Uh, but if if they need all, I, I assume that's I that's how th- they would play the it. First, so I would lean toward Phil. I remember but. in the Brady Manning one, the first several holes that they played, it was a combination of both. But then all of a sudden, okay. later throughout the match, they were taking turns. So Br- Brady would take one shot, then Mickelson would take the next one. I don't know. It was yeah. I don't know the exact format, but if I had to pick right now, going to my head, I'm taking whichever side Barkley isn't on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a fair way to do it. If if Charles Barkley actually has to play well for Phil and Charles to win, then I, I also think that Peyton and Steph can be good enough. Uh, I would have really loved to see Michael Jordan in this. There were talks of him being involved. I think that would have been cool if we got to see him. Uh, you know, obviously having Steph and Peyton is not that much of a drop off so should be a fun event i uh i haven't really watched too much of these matches i remember watching the ending of the tiger versus phil one back in 2018 i didn't end up catching any of the uh the match two back in may it was this, it was, this was an exciting one it's a friday after thanksgiving so so i'll admit i'm biased because i'm a golf fan but it really was entertaining and not just to me personally but also just the casual person and the fact that it was mm-hmm. it definitely helped that it was manning and brady because they're definitely big, yeah they're definitely I mean, big draws to two it. big rivalries yeah. going at the same time so yeah so it definitely helped in terms of the rivalry but the viewership was sky high it was higher than oh yeah any, any pga tour event outside of maybe majors <laughs> uh-huh yeah and i'm sure that this one will, will uh will do just as well and uh should be another fun one all right, so question number four. After seven months of this hell pandemic, are there any personal silver linings for you? Uh, yeah, so my question is, are there like, oh, uh, this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the pandemic? Or is it, what's something good that happened in the last seven months just in general? I'm, oh, I'm um, I guess the, the latter. I but, almost, okay, but, okay. I, I almost wanted you to answer first. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, Steelers are 5-0. NFL is happening. Sports have been able to go on. I think that's that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, I got to see some family a couple times now, which has been nice. I, I, I don't know. I've, there there aren't a lot. There are definitely way yeah, more negative I'm like things. I'm trying than, to think of like so things. Like, I'll, I'll, answer, <laughs> I'll answer it. So okay. the first couple months, I, so I hate traffic more than anything, and there oh, was yeah. not, there were not there's not a lot True. of traffic during March and April, and I loved it. I I clocked at a hundred miles an hour on the highway at one point. That's how that's how great it was. Yep. Uh, that's that's a good point. One my, I haven't had to go to work. I haven't had to commute. I get to just wake up and I work from home every day. So that's nice. Another no, commute, no traffic. <laughs> this is super random, but another silver lining. So the Little League World Series shows every August. And there are 12-year-olds who throw 75 miles an hour faster than me. I did not have to see that this year. Thank oh, goodness. No, that I felt the opposite. I was so upset when the Little League World Series I, was canceled. I, hate, I was ready for 12-year-olds from Bedford New Hampshire to rip my heart out again like they do every year. Yeah, I, I hate that there are kids that are... <laughs> that I'm twice the age of that can throw faster than me. I mean, I can't... I was never a pitcher or anything, or I, I, I can never throw a baseball hard. I was... Obviously, my best, I've talked about this in the past area, but my best baseball skill sets were obviously running and occasionally hitting. But <laughs> I, I just, I hate, I hate seeing younger people that are just way more talented than me. And it's not just Little League World Series people. It's, it's, just, yeah. it's just in general. I mean, 
McDavid or uh, some of these baseball players like Juan Soto or Colin Morikawa on the PJ Tour. He won his first major at 23. I, I, I'll admit, there's a part of me that just hates it when someone definitely younger is putting up great athletic showing their great athletic abilities that it is crazy to think about it makes you feel old in the nba who have already been like all-stars and stuff that are like three years younger than us zion's like 19 and he could he's already as freakishly good as he is 22 yeah maybe so there's a there's a thing for me that just hates it when someone that much younger is that much more gifted at at a sport you know, I get the concept, but I, I definitely don't consider the <laughs> Little League World Series being canceled a silver lining. I don't know if that's weird for me to say, but I, I really do enjoy the Little League World Series every year. Uh, All right. Uh, and as the last question, number five, after being delayed by the coronavirus pandemic, Claire Crawley's season of The Bachelorette is finally underway. What guy do you predict will ultimately leave the show engaged to the oldest Bachelorette in the show's history? You got me, <laughs> since I do not. I talked about this before we got on, but I do not watch The Bachelorette. You clearly have not been paying attention to anything going on with The Bachelorette because exactly. anyone who has watched the show or followed along in any capacity knows that Claire leaves with Dale Moss, former NFL player, after 12 days because. She met him on the first day, decided that she just met her husband, and just kept that going, apparently. I'm, I'm excited to see how that plays out, just for all the drama and the chaos. But at the same time, when you're watching a reality show and you already know what happens in the end, it's kind of like a weird experience. And yes, I, I did watch the first episode. I'm excited to kind of see where this thing goes. I'm a huge fan of the Bachelor franchise. I've talked about that before. I love Bachelor in Paradise. Anti-Silver Lining. Not only did the Little League World Series get canceled, they canceled Bachelor in Paradise, which is my favorite format of the show, where they just send a bunch of guys and girls on an, an island together in Mexico. Um, so, yeah, this was this was our way of talking about the Bachelor out on the show. So, Brian, I can tell you, there's actually three former NFL players on the show. None of them actually made a roster. They all were like practice squad, maybe, yeah, or just wasn't, like wasn't Aaron Rodgers' guys. brother on the Jordan Rodgers on it? Yeah, Jordan Rodgers. He he won the the Bachelorette a few years ago. Okay, Jesse Palmer was the Bachelor back in like 2004. He's a former NFL quarterback. He's on. Uh, he's on. Uh, he's on e- is he on ESPN? Yeah, he's. I think. He might be even specifically SEC Network, but yeah, he's he's one of the college football guys. Mm-hmm. Clay Harbor, uh, you remember him, tight end in the NFL. That he name is recently that on the name's show. familiar, but I wouldn't recognize. him. He played him. for the Patriots for a year. Yeah, that, that's probably why the name's familiar then. <laughs> yeah, um, I so. think he spent most of his time on the Eagles and maybe the Bears. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, there, there's always like a handful of guys that are like kind of famous, you know, former. Pro for athletes, so, but. so for someone that has, clearly has not watched, should I watch? And if I should, where should I exactly begin? Or is it is it too late? Is it just too late for me to even? No, I mean they're only one sep- episode in. We're actually recording uh, the second episode just started, so I definitely won't be watching that tonight. I mean, <laughs> all I know is every time. Like the first time I watched it was kind of as a joke and I became hooked. And every time I've watched it with someone who hasn't watched it, they are at least are hooked into the episode. No, it's just <laughs> so that's probably how I would go into it. Is I that could see you first, being a fan yeah, of the show, and, honestly. And, hey, when we did top five 
reality shows, I put yeah. Beauty and the Geek as uh, as one of my choices. And it was a show that no longer exists, but I remember it was it was such a long time ago when I watched it. But when I watched it, I put it on as a joke. But then all of a sudden, I watched it like all day, and I was hooked yeah. on the show. And it's kind of a similar thing, except it's obviously good looking people, much good, better looking people than geeks. And it, but I think maybe. So I'll, I'll, I guess I could check it out. Maybe. Hey, you know, I knew you're a big uh, fan of romantic comedies, like Wedding yep. Crashers. Yeah, so. Wedding Crashers. It's a romantic comedy. If you if you just Google Wedding Crashers, it says comedy slash romance. So, so what are the three things that we disagree on big time? Ryan Tannehill. What, oh, there's so rom- many things. <laughs> wedding Crashers, a romantic comedy, and then there was one in the middle. Uh, that the uh, I know. Well, we kind of went back and forth about the Steelers and the Browns earlier, the 49ers and the Rams. I mean, I didn't. I. If we have disagreements, to, uh, there weren't huge disagreements. <laughs> no, I'm no, talking about I'm Ryan talking about Tannehill big thing. ones. Oh, the 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 six series Brooklyn one. Oh yeah, that's a, uh, a throwback. Oh one. yeah, way more. Yeah, lower. I mean, and like I said, Ryan Tannehill plays the Steelers this week. I hope he comes out and I start questioning my my affinity for him. But I'm not I'm not super optimistic. Oh, th- there's another game where I'm gonna root for the, even though I hate rooting for the Steelers. As a Patriots fan, <laughs> I'm gonna root. Just, Big time for a blowout again. Yeah. All right. Hey, I left. Although I'm higher on him, I'm higher in tail than than Mayfield, though. I will say. That's good. All right. That'll uh, wrap things up for this episode. We do back to back weeks. Uh, We're not going to have another episode for a couple weeks now. So uh, we look forward to talking to you again sometime in November. So for my co host, Brian Wells, I'm Corny Thanks, everyone. Oh,